This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Walmart and Amazon are both coming from a position of financial strength. They both make billions of dollars a year. They're using healthcare very synergistically with the products that they already have and trying to create not just demand for their healthcare services that they're building and scaling, but also creating demand for their core business model through the way that they're designing their services. That's really interesting and something to continue to pay attention to over time. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host for today's episode, Jamie Zage. This week, we cover a topic that our audiences always seem to love, disruptors. I'm joined by my colleagues, two authors of an upcoming pub on disruptors, Trevor Durin and Cassie Rattler. Let's get started. Are disruptors really changing the game yet? It really depends on the market. In some places, the disruptors are much more heavily entrenched. We see a lot of that in MA. It's really concentrated. You have some of the bigger national disruptors that are trying to change the game in bigger and broader ways. To answer your question, yes, I think that they are starting to change the game, but it's really more targeted to either their specific product offering or a specific market. Yeah, and this was such a fun briefing to write. Cassie, how many off-the-cuff discussions have we had about this? This might be a big year because some of the big players have already showed a lot of momentum in the last six months or so. Think Amazon, think Walmart. There's news every week. Each year, we're going to keep seeing more and more impact, and we're going to keep being able to measure that impact, particularly with our claims data, in deeper ways. That always makes this a fun topic. Another piece here of how they're changing the game is most of them are using some of the low-hanging fruit, especially in Medicare Advantage, where payers already know that MA is a growth strategy for so many of them. There'll be big things this year, particularly Amazon. This is one of my recent tangent deep dives. Just poke around their website. It looks really slick. Amazon Clinic in particular, when I talk transactional care, urgent care, virtual, primary care strategies with members, are you sure you can compete with this? It clearly says this is going to be an asynchronous visit. Here's how much it costs. Here's when you're a good candidate for this. The communication is so good and clear and consumer focused. That's how they're changing the game. It's someone with expertise in deeply understanding consumers now applying it to healthcare. I think they are changing the game in a bunch of different spots. We kind of look at this by sector, by segment. All the sectors are getting blurry, but they're still each changing the game in their own unique way. Talking about Amazon being one of the biggest, who are some of the other big players that our clients need to pay attention to? Trevor's right on as far as Amazon having a very differentiated consumer experience. If you think about Amazon's history, they changed the game for brick and mortar bookstores. Then they started changing the game for whatever stores, you know, they've added more and more products. I feel like they're just positioning themselves to do that again with healthcare. Although we're saying a lot of good things about their slick e-commerce model. Now they have one medical and the whole landscape could change if Amazon's able to actually nail it with one medical. The other one that I'm watching is Walmart. And I put Amazon and Walmart on the same plane with each other at this point. And my reason is because they don't have as much of a burning platform as some of the other disruptors. A few of the disruptors that we look at are PE backed or VC backed, and they have investors that are lighting the fire under them. If you look at some of the retailers, they were getting disrupted. Walmart and Amazon are both coming from a position of financial strength. They both make billions of dollars a year. 
they're using healthcare very synergistically with the products that they already have and trying to create not just demand for their healthcare services that they're building and scaling, but also creating demand for their core business model and driving traffic back to Amazon, back to the Walmart store through the way that they're designing their services. That's really interesting and something to continue to pay attention to over time. Totally agree. Amazon and Walmart need to be thought of as twins when we think about what they can do here. Their average customer is so similar. I remember reading that and it was a huge aha. Like I didn't think of Amazon as the same customer as Walmart, but their core customers overlap so much. And then Cassie and I were going back and forth when we saw Walmart's announcement around some Medicaid partnerships and we dug into their United Health Group Medicare partnership. So MA members today often get an over-the-counter card to use each month. And the card in this new partnership says, you're going to use this only at Walmart. That's where you get to spend this per month. That's the whole deal. That's Walmart finally getting in on... On the money that's going to flow from the government through private plans. And now they're getting access to this new pool of money for their customers. It's brilliant. And it's such a Walmart flavor on many of these deals and partnerships that we've seen before. It's not about them offering their own MA product. It's about them using MA to now put more money in their customers' pockets to spend at a Walmart. I actually said, I feel like Walmart has become Amazon with a heart. Walmart, they're doing a lot of health equity focus. Their project in Georgia with Medicaid is really focused on African-American maternal health. They're doing things that's going to benefit them or they wouldn't be doing it. However, I do feel like they're taking a lot of interesting angles to try to help the underserved. And that could also change the game in a really positive way. They could actually make a meaningful difference. It's too soon to tell if they're actually going to do anything that's meaningful that we can put data behind as far as like changing the health outcomes of a population. I appreciate that they're at least trying. I back you up completely because Amazon's acquisition of One Medical syncs up with their acquisition of Whole Foods. It's a diversification strategy to try to get to a higher spender segment. That's a little scary from health systems perspective because they're really focused on commercial patients as the ones they're going to target. I'll buy that. Walmart's the Amazon with a heart. The other one we have to talk about in this space is Optum. Let's call them the payer with a heart. We already know and we've looked at the data in the past. They are not Kaiser 2.0. It is not some huge national total cost of care strategy to really benefit the payer side, and it definitely doesn't look any different to consumers. They're going to manage referrals internally. They're going to dramatically change referral patterns in a market. They're going to change local network composition because when they get to sufficient scale, they can do that. And they can really change the options for smaller and mid-sized hospitals that are using them for managed services agreements and to run their rev cycle. Imagine all those things happening in a given market. That can really change the competitive landscape. That's why we should be worried about them. I think their shared savings are when they refer internal and they have very clear incentives around that to make it happen. And they have proven that they can make it happen very, very quickly. They're definitely changing the game and being disruptive, but I don't think there's a higher level vision, big end goal in mind. They're already being really successful as is. They're being really successful and they're also investing in alternative sites of care with their investment in the home care market in particular. I'm curious what other payers are you worried about in this space moving forward and disrupting things? We've talked about Optum a little bit here and you mentioned payers in an earlier part of the discussion, Trevor. Who else is out there that be worried about? They're not all trying to be Optum. At a surface level, you could say everyone's vertically integrating and Optum's just the furthest along. That's not really the case. Others are more specialized. Humana very clearly announced this week they're out of commercial. They're focused on MA. 
all their vertical alignment totally syncs up with that. Their biggest investments vertically are in Centerwell. That's kind of their whole care provision side. I think of it as their traditional senior-focused clinics. In home care, that's Kindred. What we saw when we looked in their claims data, their model for their commercial patients and their Medicare patients is almost exactly the same in terms of the mix of the diseases they treat and the procedures that they bring to patients' home. That tells me they have a sophisticated home care model that they're just going to try and lay over their existing work in senior-focused clinics. We've heard others who do senior-focused care talk about a segmentation where like 65 to 75-year-olds get one product. It doesn't have to be that hands-on. And then over 75, it's like a really hands-on model. Maybe they'll move towards that. Humana's totally focused on seniors. Anthem's another one to pay attention to. They get no press, no love when we talk about vertically integrating complex systems. And that's probably because they don't usually do it through acquisition. Most of their growth and alignment's been through partnerships. They have a huge home care partnership. They made an enormous investment in Privia, another one of the disruptive medical groups that really focuses on being a great CIN. And they probably have 10 others that we could talk about. They're being smart and strategic and trying to influence the whole system of care here. They're just not doing it through ownership. So the lines between these groups appear to be blurring quite a bit, especially in the retail segment. They're vertically integrating. We've seen some movement in that space. What does it mean in the retail space? We talked about Walmart, and we think Walmart is the biggest player. It's acting very slowly and methodically, although I think 2023 is going to be a big year for them. They've been making a lot of announcements. That's going to accelerate. But when you look at the other two smaller players, CVS and Walgreens, one thing that we need to remember about these is they both have a little bit more of a burning platform to advance in healthcare because their core business of pharmacy has already been disrupted. I'm sure people have seen in the headlines, Mark Cuban is getting into generic drugs. And we talked about Amazon. Amazon has a pharmacy subscription now. Other companies have been focused on trying to help patients get more information about where to get lower cost prescriptions, all of that. The whole retail pharmacy industry has been going through some turmoil and some change over the last decade. One thing to note is that Trevor was just talking about some of the payers. CVS acquiring Aetna really helped them when they were in a predicament with trying to continue to be relevant and continue to get people in their stores when pharmacy options were abounding and consumers were getting away from retail pharmacies. When they made that choice, they continued to grow. Their stock price has been increasing. Their investors are happy with them. And over that same period since 2018, 2019, Walgreens has actually lost a lot of ground financially. They're both pointing to the fact that they need better depth in their healthcare offerings in order to stay afloat as a company. Now we're talking in billions of dollars, but they have these underutilized brick and mortar facilities that they actually need healthcare to figure out how their retail pharmacy is going to be meaningful for consumers for the long haul. I don't think that they're worried about just getting people in to buy stuff in Walmart. So I just look at CVS and Walgreens as they're in that fighter mode. And that's why you see them doing a ton of acquisition. They realized pretty quick they couldn't do it themselves. They didn't know how to do it. So they just are buying and buying to try to create that depth of expertise yet to be determined if they can deliver on their promises around trying to be managing out cost, being a high value provider, managing chronic disease. We're not sold on that whole plot line that they're trying to put out there for all of us, but I do think that they're going to be scrappy about it. They have a real need to use healthcare as a conduit to stay as a relevant consumer retail organization. Otherwise, they will be disrupted by the competition. 
want to kind of move further into what the retail giants are doing in this space. And we've talked a little bit about Amazon buying primary care. How does the buying up primary care as a part of this fit into this disruption? What's the implications for the primary care piece? There's a few different ways that health systems are going to be affected by the disruptors going so deep into primary care. One is just the fact that, and we talk a little bit about this in our upcoming brief, there's now more options than ever for a physician as far as place of work. And the new medical groups, so many of them are value focused and they're really aligning their incentives for physicians and staff, their care model and how they get paid in a way that a lot of integrated health systems or health systems that have really deep payer partnerships that have been working towards these types of primary care models. The benefit that these new medical groups have is one, they had funding to support this ideation and scaling process that they've been going through. They've really been developing these care models from the ground up to create roles that physicians want to have that are aligned to the right incentives that can be value focused and that are very pure in their approach. Not only is that creating a differentiated experience for our consumers, but it's also creating a differentiated experience for the people that are in those workplaces and just additional options for them. So if anything, you know, health systems may feel like they're in my community, but it's not changing my market share. It's not changing our downstream referrals because it's just a primary care footprint. It'll be interesting to see if it starts to really change the expectations of our employee base over time, not just our consumer base. That's a bullseye. And it's really hard for health systems to try and match the way just about everything about working at one of these new med groups looks. The Village MD acquisition by Walgreens makes some sense for both sides. All of a sudden, Village MD gets a big real estate footprint. Village MD isn't necessarily totally focused on MA because they started by acquiring existing practices that were a normal split of big segment of commercial, small segment of Medicaid, medium-sized segment of Medicare. From a retail pharmacy perspective, that's a good mix of patients that you want to see that one make sense. How they actually sync up the in-store experience, I don't know. There are already some Village MDs embedded in Walgreens, but they won't all be. We'll kind of see how much synergy there is there. The Oak Street acquisition by CVS, to me, it's really hard to visualize how that'll sync up and be more than the sum of its parts. I mean, Oak Street is so focused on duels. I don't think there'll be that same blending of the physical spaces. Oak Street already has their clinic footprint also. I wonder how they work together to get more out of it. Sure, there could be some little stuff. Aetna members, there's more specialized savings. This is going to be a group of patients who's going to have a big drug spend. To me, it was more of a Me Too acquisition. They felt like they needed to grab a primary care medical group because everyone else was doing it. For a long time, they've talked about, we want to grow and do more chronic care for our patients and members. Our claims data shows they haven't done that at all. Our claims data also shows that a lot of the core bread and butter stuff they did, really low acuity, transitioned to virtual the last couple of years and hasn't come back yet. Why would it come back? It'll come back a little bit as infectious disease in general goes back to the more pre-pandemic levels. Patients were making decisions based on convenience, and virtual is usually more convenient than going to a CVS. All those pieces don't quite sync for me yet. It's interesting. I got asked recently by a CEO, given the landscape and what's happening with some of these disruptors in the primary care market as a health system, do we acquiesce to that? Or do we need to double down on our employment strategy with primary care? What's the health system response to this movement in primary care by retail? Or maybe it's not time to make a decision yet if they're still trying to figure it out. 
You don't need to employ all of primary care in order to drive value to the health system with primary care relationships. With the current environment that we're in, it would be a tall order to ask health systems to just start acquiring at the rate that what was previously the payers is now retailers because the payers have already been there, done that. They've been building out their ambulatory footprints for a long time. And the retailers are getting in on it. And like Trevor was saying about CVS, they didn't want to be the last one standing with no value-focused primary care at scale. So they just picked up Oak Street for a huge price tag of over $10 billion. A health system can't compete there. There's a group of health systems that are already really focused on value, and they can continue to leverage their CIN. They can try to create more strength in the partnerships. They can be more open to different care models within the physician group and allowing a little bit more independence, because that would be really the last way to keep these people involved without trying to pull them into employment and knowing that you're not really going to offer the same benefits or what have you that a retail or PE-backed group could. The other thing is that we mentioned Privia partnering up with Anthem. There's a lot of enabling organizations like that that are out there that also are disruptive because they are allowing independent physicians to join their CIN. Health systems that aren't that far along on the value journey and trying to figure out how to create an ambulatory network that's going to work for them could probably partner with some of those types of organizations. They could use a Privia or an Agilon or an Allidade to have a jumping off point to get into value and to really create a physician network without having to employ every single doctor in their market or in the markets that they want to be in. Totally agree. They have to change the way they think about primary care options and this group as partners. And the other piece here is this just increases the impetus for care at home because every one of the providers is making huge investments there. That's telling you they're going to have the infrastructure to move more patient care to the home setting. That can either be at the expense of the health system or the health system can try to compete to offer what the health systems have always been able to compete on, which is a more integrated, connected product. Even if they don't necessarily want to go there or are willing to admit that they can handle shifting capacity there, shifting inpatient volumes there, this might be an extra nudge. And health systems, this is so hard for them to do and say, I think we have to push them to get there. Some of the stuff you just have to look and say, these guys do it better than we can ever do it. Cassie and I have kicked around the question, should a primary care doc who's employed by a big health system be encouraging their patients, like, you should just use Amazon Rx. It'll be so much easier for you because that's what's best for the patient. And it's easy, convenient. And then the physician has ownership of that recommendation and you're in on it versus trying to push an existing clunkier health system solution. Yes, there's downstream implications. Yes, that's going to make it easier for those patients to click on Amazon Clinic, but they're going to get there anyway. Health systems are debating some of those big questions today, but I think it's really hard for them to ever say, we'll seed this piece. When you look at the capabilities of Walmart, Amazon, Optum, there have to be places where you just admit, we can't do what they do. Better to partner with them than to try to compete with them. Use them as a vendor, right? Is there something we can learn from all of these disruptors in terms of how they've gotten to where they are and the successes that we're anticipating? What can health systems do in response by learning from them? We've spent a decent amount of time today talking about what the consumer wants. Traditionally, patient experience has been the language that we're using, and we're starting to move into this more consumer-focused language because we're realizing that, yes, the game is changing, and the experience that a patient has in the four walls of your hospital or your clinic isn't really the end-all, be-all anymore. It's table stakes. 
everything that Trevor was just saying is as it relates to Amazon can definitely do it better. Amazon is the e-commerce platform. Walmart had to catch up to them. Health system will not be an Amazon, but they can say, here's our strengths. We want to continue to try to push volume to our strengths. And how can we make the tools and the capabilities that we have as consumer focused as possible, knowing that they may not be able to be all things to all people. So are they going to be the lowest cost prescription drug offering? Probably not. Are they going to be able to have all their service lines equally engaged on a digital platform? Probably not. But there's ways that you can either partner, and we'll have an example in the case, and I think it's been brought up in a few SG2 venues around BeWell, it's really a digital front door. I think that things like that are the things that health systems need to be doing, and it's getting to become the digital experience that a consumer is having when they try to schedule an appointment or try to contact their clinic or their doctor that is becoming table stakes as well. So we need to just continue to realize healthcare organizations need to be to the bar, at least, that these disruptors are now setting. And that bar is rising with all the new entrants that are coming in and with all the new product offerings that the biggest players like the Amazons and Walmarts are going to be bringing to the table. Cassie, thank you for that insight of where health systems need to meet that new bar, that ever-changing, rising bar. This is uh, unfortunately all we're going to have time for on our episode today. I appreciate uh, all the insights from our guests, Trevor and Cassie. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.